3: Welcome on into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. This is going to be a quick show tonight, thus, the lack of the intro at the top of the show. Uh, we are getting close to finalizing some really exciting things uh behind the scenes of the site. Uh, and I'm going to be working on that a lot this week, so I'm trying to limit the amount of time that uh, is taken away from that. But I did want to talk to Mr. Matthew Friedman here. What's going on, Matt?
1: Uh, yeah, tax day as well. Uh, another another reason to have a a quick show. So uh, yeah, let's get into it.
3: Okay, that that is what I like. So we have the draft coming up. At this point, Matt, it is as soon as we're going to get before uh, we have results to talk about on the show. So which prospect stands to gain the most by getting drafted into a great spot? Basically, is there that player that you think if they land in a certain situation, you know, things are really going to explode for them?
1: Yeah. So, um, I think I'll probably take the easy way out of this. Um, I would say almost any running back. Um, cause I think it's just going to be like, so, so dependent on volume and maybe kind of like offensive line could help and stuff like that. But, um, I don't think any of these running backs is awesome enough on his own, like Saquon Barkley last year, or I mean, even some of the other guys that we've seen recently where, uh, kind of agnostic of situation, you can say like, Oh yeah, this is a guy I really want. So for again, almost any of the running backs, I think, uh, it will be a very situation dependent, uh, prospect on whether you want that guy. Um, A couple other guys specifically, Uh, Dwayne Haskins, uh, I think for quarterbacks, scheme is really important. And he has just 14 games of starting data. So the projection with him is still like really uncertain. Um, So I think landing spot will be really important for him. Uh, Bryce Love, um, I think he has a lot of potential Uh, If he hadn't injured himself this last season, uh, if he had just gone into the 2018 draft, you know, like he could be a second round type of guy. Instead, I think he's going to be maybe like a fourth rounder or a fifth rounder. Um, But, you know, whoever takes him, like, I hope that team is fine with pretty much just redshirting him for a year, uh, letting him get healthy and not holding that against him uh, when it comes time for him to compete for touches later. Uh, And then Andy Isabella is a guy I'm really interested in but I could see like the situation just really not working out for him if he lands with a coach who isn't like that inventive of a play caller like I mean I don't think he's going to go to uh like to the Rams right. or something but like I I feel if he landed in a situation like that it would be like okay this is now Andy Isabella season
3: for sure so with those players named are there any players that perhaps are favorites of yours that there's a team that you're really hoping they get matched for? So beyond, you know, just players who, you know, their situation would drastically change. Is there one particular fit that you're really hoping for? Maybe it's Paris Campbell to a certain location. And I'll I'll let you even go outside of fantasy relevant positions if you're so inclined.
1: Interesting. Um <clears throat> okay, well to start from the the non-fantasy relevant positions, um Uh, One I'll say is Rashawn Gary, who's kind of like this hybrid. No one really knows what position he should play. Is he like, is he a pure edge? Is he a three, four defensive end, a four, three defensive tackle? Um, I think he would work really well with the lions. Um, You know, like I think Matt Patricia, or we could even just say Bill Belichick, um, (laughs) you know, like with (laughs) like that, like he would work well too with the Patriots, but like he has a versatile skill set that I think would work well with a team that wants to use multiple fronts and likes to move guys around the defensive line. Um, so I think, I I don't know, like he was never really able to unlock his potential in college. Um, but if he could get with a team that had like an idea of how they wanted to use him and they, they really wanted to maximize the ways in which they used him. Um, I think that would be interesting. Um, the fantasy guys, uh, I have a few, Um, I mean, I guess I should say one, like I, I kind of don't care all that much about where guys land because I try to have a, a team or scheme agnostic perspective when I'm evaluating them. And even kind of like when I'm, I don't know, when, once they've landed, I still try to think kind of more long-term because like so much can change on a team year to year. But, um, Irv Smith to the Cowboys, um, you know, I think they need someone eventually to replace Jason Witten, uh. Smith won't have to be the main guy as a rookie at the tight end position. So he can take some time to develop. Um, you know, as I mentioned a few episodes ago, I think, uh, you know, Smith is really young. He'll be 21 for the entirety of his rookie season. Uh, I think he could be a really good long-term player for the Cowboys. Um, so he's one Noah Fant to green Bay. Um, you know, you see him mocked there quite a bit, and I think that's a real possibility. It would be nice to see Aaron Rodgers have another weapon. Uh and it, just specifically like the Rodgers to Jimmy Graham connection has just been so painful to watch that I just I like I just want to see someone else there in general besides Jimmy Graham.
3: Well, do you have uh, a theory as to why that is? Do you think that it is Graham or is it just something between the two?
1: Uh I think it's Graham. Yeah. I think he's just he's old, he can't separate. Um, and now he's not, I think, even as dominant in the red zone as he used to be. Right. So just, it, it's not, you know, good all the way around. Yep. Um, Andy Isabella to the Patriots. I, for <laughs> reasons yes. I almost don't even need to be, yeah. It's just, it's too perfect of a fit, you know, like, um, You know, he gets comped to the, you know, the white slot receivers, but really he's much more, I think like Brandon cooks, Mm -hmm. but I think he could play in the slot if wanted. Um, and you know, went to UMass. It's just like, it's a perfect fit. Um, and then one more, uh, James Williams to the Buccaneers. Um, Williams has been the best receiving back in college football for the past two years. He's not much of a runner, um, because they didn't really run much at Washington state. Um, he's not all that great of an athlete. He's kind of on the smaller side, but, um, Bruce Arians likes for his backs to be able to catch the ball. Um, Arians had, uh, Ellington back in the day who wasn't big, wasn't really all that great of an athlete, um, but was able to. Be fairly productive for a couple of seasons, uh, in part because he was such a good pass catcher. I think Williams could see uh, similar usage if he were able to uh, hook up with Arians. And the thing is, like, there's opportunity there. Like, uh, neither Ronald Jones nor Peyton Barber is very good at catching the ball. And that is something that Arians really wants his backs to be able to do. And Williams, like, he does that better than almost anybody.
3: Yeah, those all make sense. Uh just to follow up on Isabella, what round do you think he's going to go in?
1: Uh I could see end of second round, but I would say almost for sure by the end of the third round.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you know as a Patriots fan, I'm going to be hoping that he stays around to the point where they might actually go ahead and take him.
1: If the if the Patriots draft him at the end of the second round, um I mean, I have him ranked right now as my number 10. Uh, rookie in, in like rookie rankings, I would probably bump him up to like, I don't know, number seven, number eight. Like I just, I would, I would be all the more optimistic about him.
3: I know. Just imagine the value that you have on your hands. If you get him on your dynasty team, assuming he does go to the Patriots in like the first two games, puts up, you know, like a hundred plus yards in each game and, and like three touchdowns. I can't even imagine what that would look like. But with that in mind, I do want to take a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Well, it may be the off-season for most people, it definitely is not for our listeners or the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC Best Ball Leagues are already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily starting at just a $35 entry fee And if you are a fan of the dynasty format, over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active dynasty leagues starting at $77, and they even have a $5,000 entry dynasty league. And the best part is not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years. Limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now. And the brand new startup Dynasty Leagues will be opening shortly. Don't miss the FFPC experience. RotoViz listeners go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Keeping in mind that, uh, you know, again, we don't know where players are going to go. If we were doing a Dynasty startup tonight, who would be the first rookie that could potentially make their way onto your team, Matt? Agnostic of you know considerations in the team?
1: Um, so the first one added to my team, are you assuming that I have the number one pick?
3: Uh, let's say well, no, what I mean is that this is a startup. So you have the number one pick in the startup. Well, I'm assuming in the number one pick in the startup, we're looking at just the rookies here, right? So, you know, I, I don't oh, okay, think you are okay. taking a rookie with the Got first it. pick, but you know, Got we're it. through the, we're through the Barclays, the Camaras, the McCaffreys, Right. The okay. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. So yeah. Thinking about them relative to all of the other veterans yep. and then like the value that they provide their draft position, which guy might I draft? Yep. Um, that's interesting. Uh, maybe TJ Hawkinson or Kyler Murray like I I feel pretty strongly that both of those guys will have NFL success. Um, And I still think that you can probably get them cheap enough uh, relative to some other players, just because I I think people will probably let uh, the quarterback and tight end position slide a little bit. And they might instead attack like AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Josh Jacobs, like some of those guys.
3: Yeah. And to that point, if I'm in a startup there's players that I like in this class, but there aren't any that I feel like I must go out and get them. So I could kind of see myself taking the approach of letting even if there are good landing spots with some of these players, letting other people make their way in on them and and instead going for guys that I feel good about. And I have more information on what I can expect from them in the next three year window.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, I would say I I want Kyler Murray and I want Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really do want those two guys.
3: Okay. Um, I think needless to say, my big takeaway from talking to you the last couple of weeks is that these tight ends in this class you really love.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I'm probably higher than than some people on the tight end class. But yeah, uh I I do like Fance and Hawkinson. I think those are the clear top two. Irv Smith for me uh is the clear number three. I think he has a lot of long term potential. Uh and then after him, um Caleb Wilson from UCLA, I think is like I think he's better than most number fours uh in a lot of classes. Uh, I'd say even most number threes, some number twos. Uh, and then like after him, like there are still other guys like Jay Sternberger from Texas A&M. Like, I, I mean, there's, yeah, I think this is a pretty, uh, a pretty strong tight end group that people just kind of, they're not talking about.
3: Yeah, it is interesting. I wonder if some of that comes from in the strength of the wide receiver class and it's kind of overshadowing the tight ends to some point. Um, but it is interesting Given especially what we saw from Fant and Hawkinson at the Combine, you know, maybe in some way those performances just got overshadowed by Metcalfs. Uh, But a quick reminder here that you can still get a 30% listener-only discount through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review, subscribe, and leave us a review on iTunes. And with that out of the way, Matt, we're almost at the question I've now been waiting for over a week to ask you. But before we get to that one, how many players in this class average more than 15 points per game in PPR leagues in 2019?
1: This is a, I think a pretty rough question. Um, so we'll say like Kyler Murray should get there. I, I feel like that's an obvious one, like quarterback should get there. Yep. Um, I don't think any tight end is going to get there. It's just hard for rookie tight ends to really break out. Um, I think maybe only like one to two running backs. And uh, I mean, I guess I'll assume that Josh Jacobs is probably one of them, even though I'm not all that into him. I think he will have the opportunity to get there. He'll have like the necessary touches. Um, And then after him, like it's, it's hard to know what's going to happen with these running backs. I think like, like, You would say that someone like uh, David Montgomery or Daryl Henderson or Miles Sanders, maybe Damian Harris, uh, out of those three or four guys, I think one of them has a decent chance of getting to 15 points per game. But like last year, Philip Lindsay had 14.9. Tarek Cohen had 14.6. Kerryon Johnson had 13.9. Like it's – that's – it's not like that's a super high elite number, but like – that's a pretty significant number. Um, It's not many running backs who actually get there. So I think only one or two at that position. And then you look at wide receivers, uh, like Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, last year they had 15.2. So basically you're asking, can one of these rookie wide receivers be slightly less than Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller uh, in year one? And like that is, I think, a really tough to ask for any rookie wide receiver. So like someone will get there, maybe two guys will get there. But I mean, I think it would be impossible to say which ones. So like, I think we're looking at maybe anywhere from four to six guys from this rookie class get to 15 points per game.
3: And one of those being the quarterback which isn't a huge ass. So I kind yeah. of put this yeah. question in because this was my way of taking a step back to remind everybody out there especially when you get this optimism from uh, Mr. Friedman here, podcast in and podcast out, that especially in the short term we have to temper what exactly we can expect from these players because yeah. like with those guys that you listed, it's easy to forget how hard it is for players to get to 15 points per game and I think even if we brought this down to 10 um With this class, I'm not sure that the number jumps tremendously.
1: Yeah. What's interesting, I mean, and this is a good question um, that you've asked, and I think it's a good mental exercise to go through. Um, This is more of a long-term class, I think, than a year one class. So, um, you know, like the 2014 uh, wide receiver group, um, that was pretty dynamic right away. Um, This isn't that type of class. Um, there are more boomer bust guys. There are more guys who are going to take some time to develop. So that's just kind of the way it is.
3: Yeah. Which now brings us to a more fun question because I think there may. Well, actually, I don't remember if there was anybody in that that historic 2014 class. But last week we got your take on if you could take three traits from any animals, how would you put them together? (sighs) And then I, I wanted to follow up with this week. You are giving us if you could put together like your ideal fantasy player. You can pick the position and then take three traits from three separate players that you've really liked historically have been a big proponent of, but then they did not pan out. Uh, For anybody that has followed Matt's work, two of the bigger names would be Bishop Sankey and Marvin McNutt. Of course, there have been others uh, along the way.
1: Okay, so so what are you asking again? Can, can you can you say that yeah, again? Yeah, you want
3: me to stratify this. So basically, you can take and it you can do. Let's do this. Either you can build yourself a running back, or you can build yourself a wide receiver, and uh-huh. you can do this by taking like three of the key traits of some of the prospects that you were really okay. really high on, but that you know turned out not to be what we would consider hits from a uh, you mm-hmm. know like dynasty perspective.
1: Okay, Uh, man. So, uh, I don't know if I really even need uh, like three guys. I guess I would just say I want Jeff (laughs) Janis. Like, (laughs) so uh, okay, we'll say like um, Jeff Janis's like his physical profile. Yep, um, and then uh, maybe like. Combined with, uh, I don't know, I think like Marvin McNutt was probably more of like a physical player. Um, And he he played at like a higher level of competition. Um, So, I would say maybe like combined with McNutt's uh, like physicality. Yep. um, I'm honestly trying to think of other wide receivers I've really liked who haven't like panned out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just let these guys like filter through my brain or i don't remember them right like I, I don't hang on to them anymore um but uh you perhaps yeah.
3: a stephen hill proponent
1: uh yeah i mean okay so stephen hill like that was um <laughs> for the like that was the fantasy douche um that was the last year of his individual site before he formed rotoviz yep So he had all of these metrics on Stephen Hill. And this was like before we really got to the point of thinking of like, hey, um, even though this guy has high market share, maybe he doesn't kind of deserve the same consideration because he's playing in a gimmicky like triple option offense. So uh, yeah, like I invested in Stephen Hill. He was my uh, first round pick that year you know, I think I got him at pick eight or pick 10 or whatever. Uh, and in week one, he had like two touchdowns and 80 yards. And I thought like he was going to be Randy Moss. Mm-hmm. And obviously that was the best game of his career. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like maybe, I don't know, I mean, but there's nothing from Stephen Hill that I would want that I don't think I get in Jeff Janis. Yeah,
3: exactly. It's funny. I feel like with, with Janis, you basically have encom- uh, encapsulated everything that you need. All right. You
1: You know what? Actually yep. one more thing. Okay. Um. Oh no, 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 no. I okay. I've got it. Uh, I I want I want Janice's. Um. Yeah. I want his his physicality. Sorry. His his physical profile. I want Marvin McNutt's toughness, and I want um, I want Corderell Patterson's uh like versatility.
3: I like, like it. His
1: yep. his versatile skill set. Um. So I, I mean, I guess we'll say. I want Marvin, I want Marvin McNutt's market share. We'll, we'll take that. I want his market share. But then on top of that, I want layered in the versatility, like the return game ability. Uh, the ability is a runner of quarter L Patterson.
3: Yeah. I think that that would be one hell of a player real quickly. Do you want to take a swing at, uh, if, if you put together a running back,
1: uh, man, a running back. Um, I
3: think it's really Terrell, just Bishop Sankey, right?
1: Uh, Terrell Watson would be in there. I, I would want, which is funny, considering that Sankey and Watson were teammates this year in the AAF. That's, that is that um, is funny. I would want... Yeah, so <laughs> Watson, what I liked about him is that he's so big. Um, I would want, uh, I guess, Sankey's... Uh, I think Sankey was pretty agile.
3: Um, yeah, he was. He I, was.
1: I, I, and, and I think he was a... a good pass catching yep. back to in college. So I would say like I want um Watson's uh I guess his size and speed mixed with like Sankey's um we'll say Sankey's agility uh and then uh I'm trying to think of like oh uh, Trent Richardson's um Trent Richardson's like what what am I wanting uh, what am I taking from Sankey? His agility. I want Trent agility. Richardson's pass-catching ability. Okay. See, I actually... Like his d- Richard... I don't... Richardson is actually a really good pass-catching yeah. back. Yeah.
3: See, I don't remember... I remember Sankey being a good pass-catching back. I don't remember Richardson being as good as, it, as, it, as you are then.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, all of... The reason why he was worse so much as his... Um, the reason he was a running back one as a rookie was because of his pass-catching mm-hmm. ability.
3: Um, To to get off of that thought, you know what I, I would like to add in here? Keith Marshall's speed score.
1: Mm, yeah, I would just rather have – I would actually rather have Terrell Watson. Yeah. Because he's still big and fast. And I think he's a little bit bigger.
3: Yeah. Freeman loves the big-bodied backs.
1: Oh, I I do. It's – I mean – yeah, I, I do. Um, and like with that in mind, it's amazing that Bishop Sankey was ever someone I liked because, uh, you know, he's not big enough. But uh, you know, I was just seeing, I was seeing uh, LaShawn McCoy basically when I was looking at Bishop Sankey. So uh, that's what swayed me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's too bad. Well, I guess you couldn't work him in because uh, your boy Smokey Brown actually, I would consider him overall a hit.
1: Yeah, I mean I think for a guy who was a third rounder he's a hit.
3: Yeah, and especially um at the time we were really focused on big, large, fast receivers. Of course he's he's fast, but you know, very different physical profile than um you know, what was kind of in vogue at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. And coming from a small school, like I think like Division II school, like there was there was no reason anyone should have heard of John Brown, really no reason he should have been drafted in the third round. Um, I mean, I think he probably would have lasted to, I don't know, the fourth or the fifth round at least if the Cardinals wouldn't have drafted him. I mean, Jeff Janus lasted to the seventh round and Janus was, I'd, I'd say like clearly the superior prospect.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting how that works out. So I said we would do a 30 minute show. We still have four minutes left. So let's say that hypothetically Russell Wilson, be it this year, next year is not in Seattle. Uh, New York is being mentioned as a fit with the giants. How do you feel about that? I can't imagine that would be your ideal realistic spot for him.
1: Uh, yeah, is well, to kind of turn this, how good of a spot is Seattle, (laughs)
3: Like, I don't think it's that good think, of a spot.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think almost anywhere has to be I don't want to say it has to be better than Seattle, but I don't know if it would be any worse. Like I think if they if they trade for him, if they give up something for him, they're going to want to use him. He's never really been used all that much in Seattle. So um, you know, and uh Doug Baldwin is getting older, like declining. Who knows what they're going to do at the wide receiver position. Um, I don't know. I mean, he, I could see him going almost anywhere and having more production.
3: Can you imagine what Russell Wilson would look like in New England? I think that would be such a great fit.
1: Yeah, it really would be. Um, It's almost too bad that they didn't – I want to say it's almost too bad that they didn't draft him years ago, but like he probably wouldn't have turned out. You know, like he just would have had to sit behind Tom Brady <laughs> <Right>. for years. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, I mean – I think there are many places where he could go and have success. Like, I think he plays in one of the most antiquated offenses in the league.
3: Yeah, he definitely does. I feel like it's certainly stymied a lot of the things that he could do. And for him being their best player on offense, it's like they're almost resistant to actually use him sometimes, which is just bizarre.
1: Of yeah. course, people, of uh, course,
3: Seahawks fans would probably say the one time they shouldn't have used him and they should have used Marshawn Lynch, it backfired. So well, that's,
1: that's fair. Um, I think, uh, I mean, th- this is kind of tangential, but, uh, like Josh Rosen, like the thought experiment with him is also interesting of like, where would, where would he fit? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of surprised that there, there haven't been, uh, bigger offers that have become public about, um, you know, like a first rounder or a second rounder or whatever it is. It just seems like his market is basically non-existent. Uh, and I think that's, I don't, I mean, I. it's hard to say like that's unfair. Like, I don't mean that in like, oh, how, how dare people like be mean to this kid? Yeah. I, like, it's more of like, I think that's inaccurate. Like, this is a guy who was a top 10 pick last year, Um, you know, played well in college, has a decent enough skill set, even if he's not mobile. He was just in a really bad situation last year, and everyone knew it was a bad situation last year, right. like i I think I don't know. like I think he is worth a second rounder at least,
3: yeah, well, I would look at it like this. You have somewhat of an NFL sample, but it's not too much that you can really go off of. But if you still contrast, what you do know about him, including that with what you don't know and what you can reasonably expect, especially this year from some of the other quarterbacks. I think that he makes more sense. I mean, really to me, once you get outside of Haskins and Murray, even with last year factored in, I don't think you can really make a case for Drew Locke or any of these other guys being a better option.
1: Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I think if he were in this year's class, um, I mean, I think he would be, I, I think he would still go behind Kyler Murray, but I think he would probably go ahead of Haskins.
3: Definitely a possibility. And on that note, we're going to close things down. Um, again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at FF and at Oracle. Be sure to check out Rotoviz. And if there are any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to roto Radio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy.
2: Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love.